Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so in a series of conversations with comics creators about their lives, their work, and comics. So sit back and enjoy. Hello again, Blockhead listeners. Welcome to a new episode of the show. I told you we'd be back uh, pretty quickly, and here we are. Uh, today's guest is Lex Fajardo of KidBeowulf.com, the wonderful Kid Beowulf series of graphic novels, and of the Schultz Studio, and a good friend of this show. And Lex is here today to help me talk about Charles Schultz and the legacy of Charles Schultz and everything Charles Schultz, because... Well, it's his 100th birthday coming up on November 26th, and we've got to celebrate the legacy of the man who inspired this podcast way back in 2018, but also has done so much, so much for so many. (laughs) Really, it's such a cliche, but it's so true. What would the world be like without peanuts? And it's hard to imagine. I can't imagine it's been around part of my life since... uh, your early childhood, right? It, it's been there ever since I can remember, and uh, and I've been a big fan ever since I can remember. And what struck me lately is that that unbeknownst to me, my mother was a Peanuts, a big Peanuts fan, uh, and she never talked about it directly, but. All of these Peanuts books were around the house. Like, for example, The Gospel According to Peanuts. Now, my mother was Catholic and and for a long time very religious, although that changed later. But uh, she was a a religious person. And so a book like The Gospel According to Peanuts, it would make sense it was around the house for a religious Peanuts fan, but certainly not for me. I was six or seven or eight years old, and I couldn't make head nor tail of it except for the comic strips. But that was around the house. There were other books around the house. Peanuts books, some that were in the neighborhood and we shared among us as kids, but there was also, like, I had a I had Peanuts jammies, <laughs> right, when I was six years old, and I had a Peanuts lunchbox, and uh, there were Peanuts books given to me on my birthday and whatnot uh, over the years, and, and they came from somewhere, and I know it wasn't my dad, because my dad was not really all that, if he was interested in anything, he was interested in more of comic book side of stuff, although not, you know, only insofar as I was. So he, he would, you know, great thing about my dad, he would, he would, uh, he would go out and if he was anywhere near a drugstore with a spinner rack, he would stop and pick up comics for me. Uh, but my mom, on the other hand, was, I think she's the one who funneled peanuts to me. (laughs) And unbeknownst to me, I think she was reading it all along. Years later, when I was, you know, in my 20s, and uh, and Schultz was focusing closely on Peppermint Patty and Marcy in those days, the 80s and into the 90s, uh, my mother had this tendency to say, well, you know, to quote Marcy, you're weird, sir. Uh, whenever I, we were making jokes or making fun or we were doing and she would she would say this line and it didn't hit me till years later that she was quoting Marcy. And so she's reading this comic strip in the paper and picking stuff up from it and, and saying it to me uh, years later without ever really talking about peanuts in any specific way. But 
it was clear that she was definitely a fan and uh, made sure that I was one too. I didn't have any choice in the matter. Uh, yeah, all that stuff, man, uh, was, was came my way. And uh, particularly, I remember the Peanuts lunchbox. I loved that lunchbox. I used to sit there at lunchtime. And you probably did this too when you were a kid. I just sit there and stare at it, you know, uh, look at all the characters and the drawings of the characters, and I just look at them endlessly. The problem with lunchboxes in those days is like you'd always drop the thermos, and the thermos had glass on the inside of it. You know, it was instead of stainless steel, it was just like glass. And this happened to every single thermos I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> back back then, yeah. Oh, well, uh, the fond memories <laughs> of Peanuts. But Peanuts was a you know an exact inexorable part of my childhood, and uh, uh, so many great memories of of Peanuts as a kid. Of course, uh, you know Charlie Brown Christmas was the big one, and then of course the the Christmas or the uh, Halloween special, Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Those two were huge benchmarks. Uh, in those years. So anyway, not only because of that, but because Peanuts has resonated with me throughout the rest of my life. Oh, I've been inspired in so many ways to do so many things, and this is one of them. And so we're going to be devoting uh, a good deal of time over the next couple of weeks to Charles Schultz. So why don't we get right to it then? Lex Fajardo and myself in conversation. On Skype. Oh, okay. Maybe I guess the the branding is is top top level now. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I don't know what. The, all I know is when they ask me to put in my Microsoft password, it like it causes enormous anxiety <laughs> because I don't remember what that password. I had went. I went through the same anxiety. Yes, I was like, <laughs> wait, what the hell is my password? Then I took a stab in the dark. I'm like, okay, great. It's the same as every other password I've got. So. <laughs> Well, don't tell anyone that because right. they'll, they'll break into your Skype account and right. uh, start and then, making. And then they'll be podcasting as me as with and uh, won't yeah. be, I won't have the you know Twitter blue verification and who knows what what they'll say. <laughs> right, the Twitter blue verification. Wow, is that something you're? Is that a concern of yours these days? What Elon Musk is doing to uh, to Twitter? Um, it is. I'm I'm sort of I'm just I'm just uh, Twitter. I don't know how it's been for you. Social media in general for me is not really. Uh, I think it's just a shadow game, and I've been on Twitter for ten odd years, and I think I could probably name five instances where being on that platform really helped my personal career in any mm. you know or connection that I may have made. So it's it's just yeah, it's nothing that that I'm. Um, uh, torn up over i'm just sort of watching it deteriorate over the last 10 days and, th and that's fascinating to see like how quickly this guy can just run what of all the social media platforms it was my favorite i thought i got i gleaned the most from it in terms of like seeing what people are up to or mm -hmm. people linking it to interesting stories or, or what have you but um and i think it's probably the most um helpful in that in that regard the, the idea that you can link out um mm -hmm. But yeah, he's just like he's just tearing it apart. I don't know if it's if it's um, on purpose or if he's just incompetent or what's going on. So it's... yeah, uh, I think the best description I heard was from Dave Kellett actually on Comics Lab. You probably heard it too. He called him uh, he calls him a chaos agent, you know. And uh, yeah, 
and I yeah. think for sure that's that's what he is. He's a chaos agent. I I've never let Twitter into my life, so I I oh, don't. You're, then you're not missing anything. I'm not missing anything. No, I know it's had an impact in. Well, no, I don't know. You know, it's like when you're not on it, you're not part of that conversation. So I don't. But I just don't. You know, I just don't know how people. Have, I'm an old guy. <laughs> what can I tell you? you know? And it's like I think certain there's certain there's a certain level of resistance. You know, uh, that some of us of my generation have to too much social media and maybe. Mm-hmm you know, the generation before and whatnot, although that's not, you know, that's a generalization and there's always, you know, I may be, I may be completely off base, but I know when, like, I I have a conversation with Seth or somebody, you know, he has no use for social media whatsoever. And, and, uh, and that kind of trepidation, I feel the same, the same thing. It's just like, well, uh, I don't feel, I don't have time. I don't know how people have time. That's, that's what, well, they're getting out. back a lot of their time. <laughs> all of these, all of these platforms—Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I mean, yeah. I'm not on TikTok. I don't do any of the yeah. other ones. Um, they're all—they're just a time sink. And so yeah. I think uh, I, I'm kind of—I um, think yeah. Going back to the Combat Lab guys because I listen to them too, and uh, I think the movement away from social media, wherever we go next, I think it's a good thing because I just don't think it's actually benefited as much as it's harmed the world. Well, that's, in a sense, that's why I, I've stayed off of Facebook. You know, I kind of, after 2016, uh, if I had made forays into Facebook and uh, minor dabbled my toe in Twitter, after that I was done, um, in large part because of, uh, you know, the toxicity and the disinformation and the feeling that this was a tidal wave of just toxicity, you know, uh, vitriol and um, spewing forth from everywhere, you know, and and I didn't want to participate in that. And it felt like a, you know, arguing on Facebook seems like an empty exercise to me. I, I see people who do that and I don't understand it because once you get involved in that conversation, then you're going to be writing out your answers back and forth for, for maybe a couple of hours. You know, I don't know. I can't. I can't put my brain to it. So I've got too many other things I got to do that I don't have time for already. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as, as artists, I, I think, you know, it's, I always struggle with the idea like, well, you know, it's, it's a helpful platform to be visible on. So sure. I can share mm-hmm. my work and get it out there. And, and, but I don't think it really moves the needle. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, if, if Twitter just, up and vanishes in the next by the end of the year or any of these others um i i don't you know i probably maybe miss it and the routine would be messed up for a couple of weeks but then it's like okay well i'm not it's not gonna make me stop doing my work yeah so. right on to the next yeah. yeah i you know i have i would much rather spend my time reading a book and picking up a book and you know because i love books but it's funny the older i get at least at this point in my life i have so much I'm trying to do that I find it even hard to find to the time to do that um, because everything you know in comics right everything is so all-encompassing and uh, especially if you're trying to run your business yourself as well as do yeah. everything else you know it's it's amazing that we find time to do anything else <laughs> right yeah yeah so anyway well welcome back Lex Fajardo welcome to Blockhead friend thanks oh yeah 
it's it feels like um, it's been a while, but then it then you know we get to talking and it's like oh we're just picking up where we left off. So it's very nice to be back. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's always great to have you on the show as well as connect with you, you know, uh, personally as well. You know, well, the last time we saw each other was in March, I think, when you were out. out in person. In person, which was cool. Very yeah. cool. Uh, despite the fact that I caught COVID not long after that. Uh, that was a... <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Yeah. From the car. No, I don't. I don't think that was from me, though. I think. No, it wasn't. It was from. Yeah. It was. We figured it out. It was from the car place. You know. Uh, so that I'm glad I didn't give it to you. You know, because yes. uh, it yeah. could easily. But it's good that we traveled in your car, actually, not mine, because uh, it was in the shop. But anyway, uh, it it's it's been that long. But and that was great. That was just fun to do personally. Uh, mm-hmm. But today we're we're coming together to talk about. Uh, talk about the big man himself charles schultz and everything that was going on yesterday that you were at the schultz museum that you were you were there for and the rest of us have to be envious about (laughs) yeah no uh simply by the the dint of proximity that i live in santa rosa and the schultz museum is literally less than a half mile away um so they had a lot of well actually all month long because it's november right we're actually i guess um are we i think we're a week away from his no maybe a weeks. couple two weeks away okay two yeah, weeks away you. november 26th is the day yeah saturday mm-hmm. yeah just after so thanksgiving yeah exactly yeah so that is his his if we're going to mark the the actual date and calendar that would be his centennial but uh, you know all year long and, and specifically this month the, the museum and peanuts worldwide and um just the entities that that are lucky enough to to work with his legacy are we're just sort of we're, we're just celebrating because 100 years only comes around once, once, once <laughs> in a long while. So, so yeah, yesterday at the we'll be Schultz, here for 200. Right. Yeah. Uh, yesterday at the Schultz Museum was sort of the, the big crowning event that was um, centered around the release of this new book um, that I was lucky enough to, to, to work on. Uh, it's called The Art and Life of the Peanuts Creator in 100 Objects. Um, and we sort of, the, the short title for that is Schultz 100 Objects book. It's mm-hmm. through the publisher, Weldon Owen. And it's actually also the first um, Schultz Museum imprint title, which is- oh, um, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, a, a really kind of neat development. Um, and uh, it kind of works as a, as a catalog. Um, it's written by Benjamin Clark, who's the curator at the Schultz Museum, and Nat Gertler, who's a longtime uh, Peanuts aficionado and, and writer, and um, and then also in part with the Charles M. Schultz um, Museum. So everybody, and then myself and the publisher, and there are lots of components putting this book together. Um, but Benjamin and Nat really did the the brunt of the work, and and Benjamin went through the through the uh, archives, uh, and he selected 100 objects from the museum's catalog to um, to talk about Schultz's life, from like his actual birth announcement to um, you know the final strip, and um, and and then Nat sort of weaved a really beautiful narrative through that, and it's got commentary from family and friends and colleagues, uh, many of whom sort of singled out an object that, that spoke to them specifically and related a story about their relationship to Schultz and that object and, you know, their lives as artists or cartoonists or just people in his life. So it's a really unique 
book. We haven't really done one like this before. Um, and so that was, we had a big launch party for it yesterday and um, Benjamin moderated a panel with some of the contributors, um, Stefan Pastis, cartoonist of Pearls Before Swine was there, Kathy Guysway of Kathy, Rob Armstrong of Jumpstart and Patrick McDonald of Mutz were on that panel. And they, it was a great, great conversation to listen to them about, talk about their, their relationship to Schultz and mentorship and, you know, uh, their, their, how his art impacted their lives and, and um, how they in turn as cartoonists try to, you know, bear that legacy forward. Um, yeah. So that was, that was at the, at the end of the show, but the, the earlier in the day, there was, um, there was a, a, a live broadcast of the Comic Lab podcast with Dave Kellett and Brad Geiger, and that was sort of a fun segue into the day. And so, yeah, it was just like, it was a whole bunch of things happening, and it was fun oh. to be a part, just to sort of, you know, be a fly on the wall and, and take photos and and, uh, and witness it. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a great day. And is there, well, my first question is, is there an exhibit at the museum that goes with the book? Yes, yeah. Um, they actually did two exhibits this year. At the beginning of the year, they did um, uh, the title of the exhibit was "Spark Plug to Sparky." I'm pretty sure that was the title, and that was basically it was it's it the, the two exhibits that they've that they've shown kind of bookend his life. So that first exhibit, um, which they 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 swapped out just a couple months ago, was really uh, about Schultz's early life and his early influences. So they actually had a lot of great artwork on loan from various places like the Billy Ireland and then their own um, their own archives. But, you know, stuff like, um, uh, you know, Prince Valiant pages and Crazy Cat pages and um, uh, is it Wash Tubs? Is that is that the name of the comic? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Roy, Roy Crane. Yeah. Wash Tubs. Yeah. Roy Crane stuff. So a lot of the things that Schultz would have seen in his early years um, growing up and being influenced and uh, and then, you know, taking it into his uh, early life as a cartoonist, um, post-war, and then it sort of, it took you up to his first Reuben win, and I want to say it was 55. Yeah. And then, so the second, um, the bookend to that is the new exhibit that went up just a couple weeks ago uh, called um, The Spark of Schultz. So that is kind of his influence there, you know, um, pushing out to a whole new generation of cartoonists and um and it's got a lot of great artwork on the wall from from you know cartoonists um currently like many of them those who I, who I mentioned and then others that are working now chris eliopoulos and kazu kibuishi have a pieces and um a lot of great stuff so it's it's a really neat exhibit um to to sort of put a you know um the cherry on top of this whole like centennial um uh year and and i think this one will run into next year so you know if you can't get there out there now folks can see it you know in 2023 as well so it's interesting to think about that second exhibition and well it's interesting that a couple of things came to mind first when we said roy crane and we said wash tubs i i was it was funny i flashed on an image from wash tubs and and I'm seeing wash tubs in my head and, and I hadn't really made the connection between how how much of Roy Crane is really in Charles Schultz's penmanship as there is. There's the same reverence for line 
and the same kind of minimalist approach to to line. I'm talking about wash tubs, the early wash tub stuff. Crane really, it's before he gets into a lot of the Benday dot stuff and, and using a lot of the Zipatone or I forget what the paper was that he was using, craft uh, tint or something it was called, that he used in Buzz Sawyer a lot to extraordinary, you know, very painterly effect. But before mm -hmm. all that, you know, if you look at the Captain Easy uh, Sunday pages and whatnot, there's a spareness to what he does, yet a fullness to it that's very reminiscent of Schultz's, Schultz's work in the, in the the way that it the world feels and this willingness of crane to abbreviate when he felt like oh you didn't need to see all of this material all this detail and and you could have just two figures in a blank panel and interacting and and it just it's just recalled it's funny i never really thought about crane's influence on schultz before but i, I can see it now now that you mentioned yeah mentioned um it, well and was, yeah go ahead well i was gonna say even uh so another of the folks in that first exhibit uh was percy crosby's mm -hmm. skippy and it's amazing when you see some of those skippy comic strips mm -hmm. like um not so much i think in the stylization from crosby to to schultz but just in like the subject matter and the mm -hmm. way that that you know kids just you know, hanging out with their with their own lives and and um, uh, and there's a lot of um, Skippy in in uh, in Peanuts, um, which is really really interesting to see. So it's not as if you know. I think a lot of times, and we fall into this trap when we talk about Schultz as an artist about how much of an innovator he was, which he was for sure. But he was also really great. Uh, alchemist in, in the sense of like taking maybe whether he was aware of it or not taking all these other influences that he you know grew up with and turn and putting them into his own work and and just sort of modifying and, and improving and and tweaking and it obviously it comes out as, as peanuts um but it's not like he created all that out of whole cloth you know yeah no i mean well and that's true of anybody who you know i i say this to students all the time you know they're they're there's this idea prevalent among young people that one, they have to be completely original and two, that originality is something that is, is not, that is again, born of the individual, not of the uh, circumstance that surrounds, not of the context, but great artists synthesize the influences that are around them. They take them and they funnel them in and then they put them through a meat grinder or whatever you want to call it and channel it through into something, something else. And it's a, you know, it's an ongoing art, art making and whatever medium we're talking about is an ongoing dialogue, right? Between artists that came before and those, and then, you know, the current generation and then those that come after it's, it's not, there's never an ending to it. It just goes, it's an ongoing conversation between the past, the present and the future. And Schultz was this, you know, it's wonderful to look at a towering body of work like Peanuts is and, and realize that all of these other elements added to this funneled through this distinct personality added to this to the mix that becomes this wonderful, unique achievement that that we can read and enjoy, you know, 50 years later. And and uh, and something like Percy Crosby's Skippy, um, 
you know, uh, it's it's not a strip that we're all looking out to read today. It's, it, it, you know, it doesn't maybe, I'm not sure. I, I've read a few of them. I haven't read a lot of them, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it's all. really, it's it's of its time. It's of its uh, time. Yeah, yeah, it's very much of its time. And so it would be, you know, to us today, certainly it's not an achievement on the level of, say, Crazy Cat is. But Schultz makes it significant by taking a little bit of it and bringing it forward into his own work. And we know that he wouldn't be himself without that influence. And so, you know, even a strip that is not among the top tiers of strips can have that kind of impact on someone who takes what they need from it, whatever that kernel right. is, and move it to something, right. something else. You never know what's going to happen to what you put out in the world. Right. And it, it gives a little, a shred a little of hope to um, <laughs> us lesser cartoonists when we think like, hey, maybe some kid will read my stuff and be inspired. So, yes. You know, do, do you ever, do you think of yourself as a lesser cartoonist? I mean, we're, we're obviously not working on that level, right, of Schultz, but I think it's very harmful to, to compare, right, isn't it? To oh, gosh, yes, yeah, no, I think, I, th I mean, that, and that's like the other challenge of being, I think, um, I don't know if this is, this is the, the, the challenge of every artist, but I know it's, I feel like it's a, it's a thing with cartoonists where we're always sort of fighting with ourselves because we, you know, as artists, we're we're aspiring to the heights of mm -hmm. something like, you know, Schultz or Walt Kelly or whatever, whomever artists had the most beautiful line that you're trying to replicate. And then at the same time, it's sort of like, well, we're working in this, um, you know, this medium that is very, you know, for 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 Schultz's generation, it was on the paper and then you threw the paper out at the end of the day. So it was very ephemeral for us. It's sort of like you post on Twitter and then it, you you lose the scroll you know, 20 minutes later. So it's sort of like, you know, we're always battling with the, um, with the, the medium that we've chosen to, that we've, you know, that we fall in love with. Sure. And, and so I think that also messes with our, our perception of ourselves and our ego and like the worth of our work. So, yeah, I think, I think so. You know, I've, I, I think about this a lot. I mean, it's the context you're, you know, you're in the time you're born in, right. You have no choice about that. And you have no choice about the circumstance. There's a lot of things that are out of your control. And I, and I think about, I mean, and I think as cartoonists, we all come up, if we're young and ambitious, we come up with the idea of impacting the world and in a way that that resonates like Schultz did or, or you know, Gary Trudeau has or Walt Kelly or anybody who's, you know, Stephen Pastis or you know, mm -hmm. Patrick McDonald or any of those people. But then we're, our circumstances are not the same, you know, they're different. And the impact of a comic strip these days, even a webcomic is not of the same caliber as it was during the heyday of the comic strip from, you know, say right. the, the 30s through the 60s, right? Or even the early 70s up through Garfield, I guess. Or, you know, well, Calvin and Hobbes is really the end of it uh, when you think about it. But even because of Watterson's personality, maybe Calvin and Hobbes didn't have the kind of... Um, uh, massive impact that say peanuts or or even garfield had um, right his resistance to merchandising probably limited it to a certain degree but you know you, you think about it though i mean it's we live in a time right where the ability to have that kind of impact as a cartoonist is is probably more to be found in collaborative media like animation than than in the comic strip 
Right, right. Yeah. And then, well, the other thing I think about in terms of all those, you know, cartoons you just mentioned was, and of the being of the time, was the distribution model yeah. was a lot more straightforward mm-hmm. in the 20th century than it is in the 21st. So, and, uh, you know, so I think we talked about this before, you know, Schultz had the, the papers and he had a ton of them. And then, you know, for his animated specials, you had, what, three three channels at the yeah. time? So it was just sort of like, it's not as if there was, you know, uh, all the streaming services or all the or all the other things that are vying for someone's attention that would take them away from from focusing on on your own work. So, yeah, I think I think the landscape has changed so dramatically now that uh, it is tougher to get that big big audience. Um, and so now, as cartoonists, we're sort of like we're making these these slices of you know and we're happy with whatever readership we have we can engage with our work and um if it's super niche that's that's sort of the world we're living in it is yeah it is and so it's a it's a distinctly different environment in that regard well of all the 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 you know from the the exhibition uh the latter exhibition of of schultz's descendants if you will um you know are are there some that impressed you in looking at the show as being most um most uh what's the word i'm looking for um not most influenced but wherein you see <laughs> schultz's influence going forward more so than in others um you know they seem right. to be interested in the same you know, not only in terms of visuals, but also in terms of of uh, subject matter. You know, the the, uh, the ongoing struggle of life um, and all of the other things that Sh- Charles Schultz dealt with in Peanuts. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and nobody springs to mind. You know, what what came to mind actually was almost this because you know, at the exhibit they had all sorts of cartoonists who were inspired by mm-hmm. Schultz. And I think what's happening now is that there's probably even, you know, because we're several, we're a couple generations since I think Schultz's big impact. So you're sort of seeing echoes of Schultz in other artists who maybe they're huge Peanuts fans. Maybe they've never, you know, Schultz was sort of there in the background, but maybe not something that they directly believe informed their work, but it's being informed by the other people. Yeah. other cartoonists and artists who have read him and, and sort of, so being you know diluted and filtered out in that way second um, generation now right right so you know in in the sense of like that melancholy and that sort of approach to storytelling in mm-hmm. that's so unique in peanuts i see that a lot in in manifesting indie comics and then yeah on, at the same time his approach to making a, a strip that is so accessible and um fun to read and like um and and just the the sheer popularity of it i actually see that manifest in stuff like dogman so it's like it's almost like in some respects it's kind of split the way that he was able to put everything in one strip and sometimes like split into different varieties of of comics i mean that's just the person that kind of pops to mind when i when i think of the exhibit and like i can't think of one particular artist or comic strip that you know is um fully you know 
aside maybe from Calvin and Hobbes, but even then, you know, I was reading some of Watterson's work the other day, and and uh, what struck me was that Calvin is um, seems so very uh, he's he is his age, you know, like he, he there are moments where he has these 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 big philosophical discussions, you know, with with Hobbes and stuff, but there was. Uh, there was sort of like an element missing to me that I see in the peanut stuff in terms of like the layered depth of, of, of um, maybe pain for lack or suffering. I don't see that manifest so much in Calvin as it does in like so many of the peanuts characters. And that's just, you know, cause Watterson writes differently than Schultz. That's, that's not really a criticism, just an observation, but um, so in any event, like I think in terms of this particular exhibit, um, it was just really interesting to see like all the different strands that people are able to pick from peanuts and incorporate into their own work. But I couldn't, I didn't necessarily see one that, that was, um, you know, a full mm -hmm. reincarnation, so to speak. Yeah. I, th I th it's interesting that when you talk about what, when you talk about indie comics, I think that's probably where I think. Schultz's influence is most overtly recognizable in both his approach to the artwork and his approach to subject matter, to the human condition and all of that. I, you know, auto bio indie comics. And one person who pops into my head right now is Joe Matt uh, yeah. from Peep Show. And, uh, and while Joe Matt goes to the nth degree in terms of explicitness and talking about his foible, his own personal foibles, there is something in, and, and his work is meaner than Charles Schultz's, although Schultz's can be really mean, needs to be, uh, but although we often forget that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, Joe Matt's work sometimes strikes me that, that way, um, as being of that school, certainly, and, and I think a group of cartoonists follow Joe Matt in that tradition, that indie auto bio tradition, I think a, um, one of the things that struck me, you know, of, and I, I hate to, I hate to keep harping on the fact that I'm older, but one of the things that always strikes me is, is that when I talked, well, when I started this podcast, one of the things about it was I wanted to talk to cartoonists about the influence of Charles Schultz. And what I found out after doing about a year of it was, and I don't, I'm not even sure I got that far, was that so many of the younger cartoonists really weren't all that familiar with the comic strip. And would, and I found that so disheartening mm -hmm. that, you know, and I think you and I have talked about this before, that the influence that they, they know from, they know the Peanuts characters from the merchandising and they know the Peanuts characters from, you know, TV and from more from, from film and animated film now than they know from the comic strip. Right. They may know it also from the reprints or from the more likely from the, you know, comic books and the uh, other adaptations of the movies and things. But going back to the comic strip, they're not all that familiar with it. And and so when we sat down to talk about influence, it was it was like a distant influence if it was something they were cognizant of at all, which right. I found so disappointing in a way uh, in in the sense that. I began to think that I wonder if if the influence of peanuts like the influence of, of so many great strips is anchored in its particular time. 
and will it transcend that time? And I hope that it transcends that time. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it's, it's it's still a singular achievement, I think, in the history of comics. And there's unlike anything else. It's unlike anything else in its scope and its its magic, really. You know, which is right. magic is, is is being able to be as dark and, and mean as and bleak sometimes as a strip can be, and yet also as beautiful and and heartwarming and recognizable, comforting in its own way as it is, which is kind of an odd conundrum, you know. You think about it. Yeah. No. It's. I mean, you, you you raise the, you know, the the big question, which you know, somebody who works in licensing for peanuts, um, and the idea that, you know, part of our job is to keep it, um, it being, you know, uh, to some they call it the brand, we call it the strip, at the forefront of people's um, minds is like just a, and and beyond just the idea, like you know it as an entity on a product like you know for us at the the schultz studio specifically you know we're always sort of you know we're in this rarefied era we're constantly talking about the strip and dissecting it looking at it and and then of course how it translates into product but i oftentimes think of like well nobody's as nuts about peanuts as we are like it's just like (laughs) you know it's 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 almost um crazy to, to you know this is our our daily lives but but it's it's and um but that's not the case for for everyone and and so i sometimes sit and think about that same challenge of like well how do you i mean i think it's a testament like okay we're talking about schultz at, on his 100th anniversary how many other cartoonists actually you know resonate to that degree that you, that you, you know you keep talking about them um you know a hundred years after their birth, not very many. So <laughs> that in and of itself, I think, is is pretty sizable. Um, that there's such a beautiful place as the Schultz Museum that can sort of put a spotlight on his work. So um, you know, the casual fan or the hardcore fan can can you know bask in all that his all of his the stuff that he accomplished and the work he created. That's that's amazing. Um, but, uh, yeah, the day to day, like, you know, the fact that we don't really have, I guess it still appears in newspapers, but how many people still read the newspaper every day? Like, yeah, like the idea that, that, um, we're living with it every day, the way that it was when he was actually producing it, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just not the case. So, um, I think for, for peanuts or for other strips that are, that have, come and gone um you know to really get into it you kind of have to sit with it and read it and and um and the, and that thankfully we have those collections so you can read them in order if you wanted or you could read you know selections of the best flying ace or the football strips or what have you but um that's i mean for me that's where it, where it is like just sitting carving out time to sit and read the strip um but as we said at the top of the show like where is the time? And so it's really something you have to be, I think, as a as a fan and a reader, you have to make the time for. It. And it's it's time well spent. Oh my god! Um, yeah. But you really gotta like, it's tougher now because it's um, to to find those those moments. It um, is it it is tougher. But when 
when I do find it, and I'm sure you find this too, whenever we do find the time to pick up, uh, whether it's from the peak complete peanuts or it's, it's an old paperback or something, whenever I find it and I read it, I find it so completely satisfying. It's everything I want in a comic strip and, and, uh, and more really, you know, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've been reading, you know, I think about this now. I've been reading Peanuts, you know, since I could read, right? Early 1960s. Yeah. And so, however long that is, right, I'm afraid to say. But I've been in so many, very many permutations. And um, and I keep going back to it over and over and over again. And I've kept going back to it my, my entire life because the And I'll tell you something. The amazing thing is that it continues to be funny. Yeah. It, you know, it continues to, and it's funny because he finds a kernel of truth in some experience or some feeling that I've had, whether I was 20 years old or whether I'm 60 years old. I've I've experienced this this feeling, this melancholy or dejection or this sadness or this you know quest for faith or whatever. I've experienced it somehow you know, recently in my life, one way or the other, and I come across a joke that, you know, illuminates it or makes fun of me or whatever it does, but it, it takes somehow, maybe the comforting part of it is, is that it, it takes the profundity and the magnitude out of a day-to-day -day foible or feeling, and suddenly you can see it for what it is more clearly. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, somehow it does that, and 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 that's happened all my entire life in reading this comic strip, which is, you know, I started reading it when I was six years old, right? And I found it to be engaging and magic and funny, and I related to it then. And how can you read something at six years old and be 60 years old, you still find the same stuff in it and, mm -hmm. and more, you know, because I'm older and whatnot. And and that's the magic of it is, is the power it has to transcend generations and and time, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just pulled a book off my shelf. It's from the P Complete Peanuts. Mm -hmm. This is not, this is eighty three and eighty four, and I just I just flipped to a random page because I think we've talked about this in the past. Like his batting average is really good. Oh yeah, his batting average is amazing. So I'm just flipping to page eighty seven. Those at home can read along. Um, there's there's a I figure I just I just wanted to like. Pick a random strip and read it, and and you'll see that it's still really funny. This is a sequence where I think Pepper and Patty and Marcy are are way at camp remote, and Pepper and Patty is mad because Chuck has been writing to her. So this strip, Charlie Brown is at his mailbox. Sally is right behind him. The first panel, Charlie Brown says, I can't believe it. Now Pepper and Patty is mad at me because I didn't answer her letter. Second panel, I hate writing letters. Third panel, he's inside, and he's writing her a letter. And he's writing, dear Patty, but of course, it's just completely smudged because he can't, you know, control his pen. Right. Final panel, Sally's looking over his shoulder and says, don't give up. Smudge your way through. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, and, you know, then, then Charlie Brown has this this pained look on his face. Um, Man, that's as good as as his, the peak period from the 60s. That that's, yeah. that's a classic Charles Schultz comic strip. Yeah, and it works. I mean, it, it's also one of those really interesting later strips where it it it's a callback. It's but it's a callback to 25 years ago. You know, <laughs> I mean, who who can do that? And you know, only somebody who's been at the game for so long 
And that's what I really find fascinating about his later work is that all of these things that he's already put in the strip for 30 odd years, he comes back to. And, you know, we call them themes, motifs, devices, but there's even something more there in that, um, I don't know, the characters and their foibles are so well-defined that but we just know the shorthand. And he knows that you know the shorthand. And he can, like, do this, like, don't give up, smudge your way through. It's such a, such it's a just a great line. <laughs> it's a great line. It, it, because it speaks to life. You know, it speaks yeah. to life in general. I mean, yes, right? Don't give up. Smudge your way through. It's classic. I think I'm going to put that on a t-shirt or something. I don't know. You know, it's like, that's something that, that's a slogan you need up on your wall, you know? That's, right. that, and, which is what people used to do with comic strips. Cut them out. And put them up on your office wall or, you know, wherever you're going to see it every day, because that one is life affirming. It's, yeah. You know, and if you're a cartoonist, if you saw somebody cut out your comic strip, that was that was that was the pinnacle of achievement right there. Pinnacle of achievement. So I just opened up. Uh, I've got a complete Peanuts book in front of me. And this, by the way, folks, this is not planned. No. <laughs> this is, Lex and I are just doing this because we happen upon it. But yeah, I have the complete Peanuts 59 to 60 in front of me, and uh, which I've been kind of ruminating over lately. And I just opened it up, page 21, and this is February 1959. And, and this is just a random pick. Lucy and lioness are outside walking, uh, you know, in the backyard or something. And Lucy uh, and Linus is behind Lucy, trailing behind her, and he's carrying his blanket on the ground. And Lucy says, it's disgusting. That's what it is. What's disgusting, says Linus. Did you ever stop to consider all the germs you pick up dragging that stupid bl blanket around? Germs? So I pick up a few germs along the way. What's the difference? They're on that end, and I'm on this end. Which, you know, in, in visually is like he's right. standing on one end of the blanket and the germs are on the other end. And I just thought that's just so great. It's just so perfect. They're on that end and I'm on this end. And that therein lies the difference. They shall yeah. not, she'll never harm me. It's uh, it, it's his ability to do stuff like that. It's just yeah. great. It's just yeah, great. It's, it's great stuff. Uh, that was 59 and 60. Yeah, this is page from 1959. This is uh, 1959 to 1960, and it's page 21. And there's this whole little thing about Linus and Lucy and his blanket, um, and and it's great. He meets up with Charlie Brown, and he wants Charlie Brown to to take the blanket away from him and not give right. it back. <laughs> yeah, you remember that sequence? It's so great. Yeah, this and this sequence was part of the the um, story that um, Stefan Passes way back when adapted with um, Into Happiness as a Warm Blanket. They kind of zeroed in on this sequence. That oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it it became uh, first as a animated, um, you know, new special, and then we turned it into a graphic novel. But it was sort of the, the blanket-hating grandmother sequence. Oh, yes, and, right. Yeah. Yeah, this one is before that, though. I think it's before the grandmother shows up. And yeah, they, they kind of, we kind of weaved three different storylines together. And, and but those, um, yeah, the whole when he gives it to Charlie Brown and Charlie <laughs> Brown gives, gives it right like, back. Yeah, I want you to take care of it for me. But no matter how much I plead, don't give it back to me. Good grief. I can't do it. I think I've changed my mind. Please give it back. OK, here. You're weaker than I am. I love it. It's great. It's so fun. Yeah. 
and it, and it's so true you know charlie brown is just like okay here <laughs> take it back i'm not gonna keep it from me he's non-committal you know uh, flip to page 87 that same 80s. volume okay 80s. this is really fun top panel this is a wordless strip four panel and it's different scenes and it's just the kids at the breakfast table panel one <laughs> charlie brown is reading the back of a snickersnacks breakfast cereal box panel two patty's doing the same Panel three, it's Lucy. And the panel four, it's Snoopy reading the back of his dog food can. <laughs> and I remember, like, you know, growing up with cereal, if I didn't have the funnies, I was reading the back of the cereal box. I mean, oh, it's just sure. amazing. Like, that's, I remember doing that. Oh, <laughs> so. oh still, you know, to, to this day, you know, if I don't have anything to read while I'm eating cereal, I'll look at the back of the box. They're so attractive. That's <laughs> right. But, but you know, it's 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 interesting. That is something that you pick up on, though, I think if you're well, no, you know, they probably when I think about it, box cereal was popular, became I've seen advertisements for it in the 20s and 30s. So people were looking and, and kids were probably reading the boxes, the back of the box of cereal back in the when Schultz was a kid, probably. Uh, but. It's also something as a keen observer, you know, a father with children, he's probably observed his kids doing it right times. And uh, sometimes I, th I think, you know, this, the special quality of the strips from the 50s and 60s is owing to both the fact of, you know, the expansion of his imagination, what he can do in this world. But also there's they're tethered to real life experience, the real life experience of children and his own children. Uh, you know, growing up at that time and watching them and, and and them giving him fodder for wherever his mind might go. Yeah, no, definitely. It's um, and I think it's also the the other thing I think is so great about Peanuts and his writing is is his. Uh, and I think a lot of cartoonists are like this. Um, we just remember what it was like to be a kid, mm -hmm. um, and you can just you know, put that into the strip. Um, and it's like very keen, specific memories that, um, you know, the specificity of the, of the cereal box thing or other, other things we've talked about. It's, uh, it's another great, um, element to, to his writing. Well, you know, uh, and it, I, I started actually, I've been meaning to do this, but I started reading the peanuts papers again this mm. weekend. And, uh, I, and I read the first couple of essays again and uh, among the observations you know uh i think one of the stories one of the essays i think it's by bruce candy talks about an experience with gahan wilson um who who did a strip called nuts for national lampoon magazine and wilson um in an interview with with the author here uh had complained about peanuts saying well these kids aren't they're, they're not like real kids they don't behave like real kids and he he meant it as a kind of annoyance you know he was he was annoyed right. by the idea and the the writer uh, bruce handy is the name of the author of this particular essay goes on to say well you know that's the point really that i mean wilson's complaint is misguided because they're not children they respond like adults and and they respond like adults and when I combine it with what you're saying, it's like they they're responding like adults to situations that are situations that are common to children, 
in a way. And so we read these and we recognize the situations, even as children's, we, children, we recognize the situations, whether it's the Sandlot baseball game or, you know, the back of the cereal box or watching cartoons on television or whatever it, it is, you know, playing, you know, flying a kite, et cetera. We recognize right. these, these uh, activities. And yet the, the kids of the gang in, in Peanuts don't respond like kids do. They respond more well, they don't. I would just counter. I don't think they respond the way kids do, the way adults think they should. <laughs> but, but I distinctly remember, like, being a kid and that being on the playground and um, and it being a recess and not, you know, finding the group to play with. Oh, and yeah. so when Charlie Brown is sitting alone on the bench looking at all the kids playing that and, you know, he's just got his bread and butter sandwich and lamenting that I know I feel that I remember that distinctly oh, and all the and all the you know the um uh the embarrassments in the classroom and all the other you know uh so the only difference is that I didn't verbalize it but mm -hmm. Schultz was able to verbalize it for me and I think that's the other thing that that some you know adults forget the pain of being a kid it's there yeah. oh yeah and and you know, again, one of the quotes that came from this book, reading the book this morning was um, Schultz at one point said, you know, I think my strip is the meanest strip around. And, and what he meant by that was the kids in the strip can be the kids can be really brutal and really mean. And that's one thing that I think if we look back to being children, we certainly recall is that kids can be brutally mean to other children. You know, whether a child is, is seen as uh, as the other, is seen as different from other mm -hmm. children, uh, yeah. anything that you, you do that's different is going to be jumped on by kids in in the group. Uh, you know, you whether you I remember, you know, just wearing a different it was the late 60s. And I remember my mother bought me um, a pair of bell bottom pants, striped bell bottom pants. And I remember the first time I put them on. And I was all proud going to school that day because I, you know, I had these bell-bottom jeans on and I was like eight or nine. And uh, the kids in the neighborhood were merciless because it was a upstate New York, you know, you know where I'm from. It was a very right. conservative neighborhood and and the kids were just merciless. I never wore those pants again afterwards. I was so, so ashamed after. Um, they can be brutal. You know, anything you do that's a little seen as a little out of the, the norm. Uh, yeah. it's fodder for attack <laughs> you know in that in that world and uh, and i think it's got a i mean as as much as i think the world today has tried to modify that or insulate their children from those experiences they're still there the yeah. children yeah, still because, behave the way children do right people are people we 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 act the same way. It doesn't matter uh, whether it's 1959 or 2022. If you're on the playground, kids going to act a specific way, and yeah. no amount of um, whether it's a helicopter parent or um, a, um, for lack of a better phrase, hippy dippy granola school where we're all part of the community. It's there's there's going to be some strife and. Um, and part of part of growing up is dealing with the strife, uh, whichever end of the blanket you happen to be on. Going back to yeah. Linus. So, <laughs> but yeah. can I ask you a question? Um, yeah. Because sure. we're looking we're looking at 
again, this is to totally unprompted, 5960. I flipped to page 144, and, and, um, and the bottom strip, because you were, you know, you've been working on a project, you know, and, you know, up to you whether or not you want to go into it, yeah, but we, your sure. Peanuts animation that's going to debut in a couple of weeks, oh, these yeah. are some of the strips that um, I think you, I was lucky enough to see it. Uh, I'll tell everybody listening, it's phenomenal. Oh. And um, the amount of uh, care and work and um, just love that you poured into that is really evident. And um, and some of those strips that are in your piece are here mm -hmm. on the page, right? And I, I don't know if you want to, if you wanted to, I'm just really curious about the process and how that took shape and all that. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked it because it does give me the opportunity to talk about it before it debuts because uh, because I do want people to see it and and it is a tribute. Okay, I've been working on this animated film as a tribute to Charles Schultz and Peanuts for about three years now, and maybe four. I'm not sure. I lost track. And it was inspired by my love of an old album. Well, first of all, inspired by love of Peanuts, right? Obviously, that's where it starts. But it was also my love of an old record album called Good Grief Peanuts, or Good Grief Charlie Brown Peanuts, starring Kay Ballard, uh, the actress, comedian Kay Ballard, and uh, her partner at the time uh, in comedy, uh, Arthur Siegel. And they used to do a stand-up routine where they they did they read out these strips and she acted out as Lucy and he acted as Charlie Brown. And the record is, uh, you know, a memento of that. Schultz actually went to see them in San Francisco. I think it was in San Francisco um, to perform at a nightclub. And he loved the, the act and he gave his blessing to the record album. And uh -huh. so they went and made the record album and they put on it this interesting music um, by a, a television TV composer, by the name of Fred Carlin, I think is the right name, Fred Carlin, with a K. And he uh, he he created the soundtrack out of children's toys, like, you know, bicycle yeah. horns and, and uh, spokes, you know, baseball cards flipping through spokes and television, or, or I'm sorry, um, uh, rotary phones dialed, being dialed and, and things of that nature. And he made this, this uh, soundtrack of this, this interesting music. It actually reminded me of, of the Seinfeld theme a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah. That's, yeah, I guess it does a little bit. That that well, actually, that's it's his music is separate from the music I combined it with. Um, I combined it with music that's at the beginning, like at the, the beginning of the show, uh, Blockhead itself, uh, by by name a uh, guy by the name of Kevin McCloyd, which he puts music out there for free for royalty-free music, and, and it was just so Schult, uh, Vince Guaraldi-like and whatnot, I mm -hmm. put it together with Fred Carlin's stuff. So, and Fred Carlin's stuff is sort of based on, on John Cage, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, the goal was, the album affected me greatly when I, I had it as a kid, and I remember listening to it, and I was, I always listened to it alone, and I found it the strangest experience, because I'd be sitting there with my little Peanuts books, my peanuts lunchbox, whatever. And I'd have this little record player and I'd have this record playing. And the record has this quality of alienation about it. First of all, Kay Ballard's Lucy is unlike any Lucy I've ever heard before because she was mm -hmm. an adult when she did it. And she was a great actress and comedian. Uh, and she, she brought something to Lucy that I thought was just always there, but she really brought it home. And so I, anyway, listening to it as a kid though, I always found it really strange because the music that's in between it, there's this kind of alienating quality that's very much 
like suburban life was in the 60s in the sense that there were these times when you you would like on a, a Saturday afternoon in the summer or even a Tuesday afternoon in the summer, you wouldn't see anybody. There'd be like it's... nobody around and nothing going on. And of course, there's no stores or anything to go to. So you're kind of trapped in this environment where there's like nothing happening and you're left alone to do whatever it is you do, but there's no connection. And however fleeting that <laughs> sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. Almost, right? But that album seemed to encapsulate it for me, even as a kid, even as unaware as I was of really what it was encapsulating. It was that kind of loneliness and alienation. And as an adult listening to it, I thought that really captured something of the strip that's never been put into a, an animated film. Oh, and, certainly not. No, it's really, it's really, um, yeah, you did a great job of just capturing the, the exact moment of the strip that we're talking about, that we just happened to open up um, in the complete peanuts, which is like, you know, late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. And there's, you know, I was reading something today again in one of these early essays in the book about that quality of suburban life in the 60s. And I don't know if it exists in the suburbs now, although when I've gone back to one of the two suburbs I grew up in, there are fewer children around. So it, it's even more, you know, kind of distant and alienating in its own way. It's not like urban life at all, you know. Right. Um, which, you know, I've always experienced. And there's always all kinds of life out on the street. But that's not the way it is in the suburbs sometimes. And so, you know, people go to their houses and they don't come out of their houses except to maybe mow the lawn and, you know, whatever. But it's it, it can be very alienating in that way. So what my goal was, was to go find the strips that were being, uh, you know, um, adapted by Kay Ballard. Find those strips and 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 adapt them, animate them myself and try to bring something of the quality of the strip that's there that was never really encapsulated in the animated films for me. You know? But I was after something that wasn't necessarily bleak, but was something that was a little truer to the to the strip itself and as a comic strip and to that record album and the, what it evoked in me. And so I sought out the strips and I, I made a, uh, you know, I wrote down all of the strips that were being referenced uh, each each one of them through the the album and it's about a 30 minute album and I went through and I picked out a bunch after a while that I found that I felt like I could do a decent job with and then I started I set out to start to animate them and I used the idea was to stay as close to Charles Schultz's work as possible and use his work as a storyboard and you know just stay adhere as close to it as possible because I didn't I wanted it to reek of, of, you know, 1960, 60s peanuts. That's, you know, I, I wanted it suffused with that quality. That, right. That quality of the strip. That it, re it reeks of sincerity, Jeff. So, <laughs> so, in the best possible way. So. Well, you know, I, I, so, you know, maybe the great pumpkin will, will, you know, bestow upon my little right. anime film you know, the toys or whatnot uh, that he brings with him every year, if he comes. Oh, don't say that. The great, yeah, the great Schultz will, will bestow upon my strip, uh, you know, authenticity or something. But, you know, it, it's, it, it was just, it was a confluence of things that, you know, made, and Complete Peanuts made it possible, right? You know, and I, I very, prior to doing this, I had collected the entire run 
and was was able to go seek out each strip. Uh, and I knew that they were all before 1962, I guess, 1963. And so I was able to go back and search them out and find them and then and then go about adapting them. You know? Yeah. Hopefully. No, it's it was really it, yeah, it was really great to see. Um, and then uh, I just can't imagine like it must have been a Herculean task too to animate it. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you know, mostly because I, I'll tell you, frankly, mostly because I'm, uh, I'm a bad animator. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the reality of it is, is that, is that I was, it had been a long time since I had done animation. I mean, I'd done some, I'd done some back in 2016, I adapted a story idea I had to a little trailer, which was pretty complicated. And and that was kind of my reintroduction into animation. Um, And so, so I, I, started developing my chops again, but I studied animation as a student in the seventies, early eighties and wanted to be, to make animated films. That was always my goal. My goal was always changing, you know, comics, animated films. It was all the same world to me. So I I wanted to do that, but I got waylaid and then distracted and onto another route, which led to painting and stuff. But, uh, you know, when it comes to doing this film, there were so many things to learn and I did it all in procreate. Everything is hand drawn in procreate. And I did it in the most difficult wow. way possible, <laughs> which was like, you know, redrawing every background and, and then you'd have to copy it and paste it into every frame rather than using for a variety of reasons. There are all kinds of reasons why, because I didn't color in the comic. I, I used a background color for the comic. So, it, you know, those who don't know what I'm talking, well, it's too hard to explain what I'm talking about, but I had to draw everything. And so uh, it was, and and the mistakes I made all the way through, oh my God, it, so many mistakes and so many times I had to redraw something. You, you, if you wouldn't believe it. And even to this day, like the little advertisement I was doing on Instagram Mm-hmm. of Schroeder and, and Snoop right. along. well I have to change the signs and what I have to do for that for that brief little snippet of animation is go through and change the sign in every single frame for that oh, I can't just change it once I gotta change because it's in Procreate and it's just an Instagram thing anyway uh, I, if there's a difficult way of doing it I found it and, I, and that's why it took me like four years because <laughs> I just made it so difficult for myself <laughs> We really embraced the Charlie Brown of it all. I, exactly, right. exactly so. that. I embraced the, the ethos, you know, the, Sisyphi, <laughs> the Sisyphean ethos of, of Charlie Brown and the football. I, I embodied it in, in making this con- this uh, animated film. But I loved every, every friggin' frustrating minute of it. I yeah. really, really did. No, and you can tell, and I was really thankful I got to get a sneak peek. So I, all those listeners should, should whenever this goes up, and whenever it's live on YouTube, go check it out. It's, it's November 26th, Charles Schultz's 100th birthday, November 26th at 10 a.m. And uh, um, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll, the premiere will go up and uh, if people want to chat, I'll chat. I guess that's what they do. One of these premieres is, you know, it's a YouTube premiere and they happen all the time. So it's no big deal. But apparently, you know, when it happens, you're there and you, you know, chat with people when they make nasty comments <laughs> because i'm sure this is going to there are a lot of people for whom this is not the vision of peanuts that they want to see or have in their minds you know because um it it is kind of barren 
you know. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a very specific era, and a very specific um, attitude that was certainly present in the strip. And that's what's amazing also about his work is that it does span 50 years. And um, and within that span are all these different, you know, slices of it, all these different, you know, attitudes. And, and so I think that's the other, you know, thing about its appeal is that there's something for everyone. So if you like the dark, um, you know, bleak peanuts it's there if you want the fluffy um, you know fun woodstock snoopy stuff it's there if you want the really you know um kind of again bleak in another kind of way surreal spike in the desert strips it's there it's just like and so um and if you want just you know the lee mendelson bill melendez um classic animation is there and then we've got this this new stuff that we're doing with with apple so it's like pick your flavor peanuts has got it for you <laughs> so well it's true it, it, i mean and that's what marks it is you know this towering work of art right is that it's got this it's it's moods are variable throughout the strip and it's not locked into one one view or another different times he may have locked into different attitudes you know over the course of 50 years right and the and the 50s and 60s are of a specific they're of a specific time but a specific i think a specific mood and inclination i mean i think lucy is at her absolute meanest in in the 1960s Mm-hmm. And, you know, she becomes a different character in the 1980s, but in the 1960s, you know, she is un, really unsparingly mean in a lot of places. Uh, and that's one of the things that Kay Ballard really brings out in this this, this record, uh, her joy at being so mean. Right. She, she torments Charlie Brown and she is, you know, happy to do so <laughs> but it's, but even but from what i remember listening to the her voice in your um piece uh there's a also a softness to it. it's almost like it, it, she's it's not a harsh lucy um it's not a grating lucy there's there's like a there's almost like a lisp in there like a softness to it but which makes her jabs at charlie brown even even maybe even more um uh you know painful because it, it's just you know she's so matter of fact about it all you know yeah her phrasing is is um is just so perfect in so many places and so unique and uh, and it's really interesting to think about what a trained actress can you know has brought to the role here um you know because we all know the animated shows and, and whatnot are voiced by children and and those early particularly those early episodes it's really quite amazing um the 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 serendipitous you know quality of the 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 children's voices in the christmas special and in the great pumpkin special and right whatnot there's this quality there that's just so amazing but she she's you know she's brought this love of of enunciation and an actor's care with phrasing to it that makes gives it a richness an added richness really interesting um i did play it for seth 
who uh, who's also a huge Peanuts fan, as anybody who knows his work from the complete Peanuts knows. And uh, he designed the, the the covers and the, the frontispiece and the interiors of the book, the layout of the books, hardcover editions. And uh, and so I was I played it for him, emailed it back and forth. And he said to me that that whenever he thinks of Lucy now, Kay Ballard's voice is the voice he hears. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting. She really and and the same is true for me. But I'm looking at these strips right now, and I'm just you know it's just remarkable. I, Schultz's way with expressiveness uh, and his pacing. Those are in doing this. One of the things that I tried to pay attention to as much as possible was was his pacing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, his timing because his timing is just so in the four panel strips his timing is so beautiful i mean beat 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 you know and then punchline and or not punchline <laughs> anti-punchline but right. you know his his timing is impeccable through and uh and trying to capture that was a real challenge timing was timing was really um one of those elements that you know Required the most tension, I think, in doing this little this little film, and it's not always right because I, I bet the the when you're especially with with animation, I don't have a lot of experience with it, but I would imagine like you don't you don't want it to be still like the your one's probably desire for animation. Like it's got to always be moving. There's always got to be something there, but with with this in this particular era of peanuts there is a stillness and you almost have to like let it live and you do you have to let it exactly you have to let it breathe you know and and uh and that's that was something i was trying to do in order to do that in animation you you know at the very least you have to have a blink (laughs) you know or something or a little slight movement here or there and and it was really easy to do too much movement in a place like that like where i first learned that in doing it there's this piece this moment snoopy is playing the vulture in the tree and woodstock goes flying by right in the beginning of the film and there's this when i first animated it i kept doing too much movement for snoopy in that tree and it just didn't look right it didn't work until finally i just you know, almost by accident, hit upon this this little m- movement of Snoopy that was just right and just enough. Too much, and it's not Schultz anymore. And too little, and it doesn't live. But, you know, you have to find that Schultzian place for his stillness and quiet and the pause that exists between, you know, uh, the sometimes the, the dialogue and the response. Right, right. Yeah, it's one of those. It's it. It was a real learning experience working on it, and a real learning experience in dealing with uh, you know learning how nuanced so many of the mechanics of Charles Schultz's you know approach to comics, um, how nuanced his approach was. It's. It was being inside it for for three or four years in a really interesting way that I, I, you know, required an analytical approach that I'd never gauged into that degree before. Yeah, yeah, it's um, well, it's it's like his precision is one of those things that that really 
precision in, in not just the line work or the pacing that you're talking about, but word choice um, oh is, yeah. is really, uh, you know, when you get the opportunity to just sit and read his stuff, uh, it becomes really apparent or you're, you're reminded of it. And the other thing is, you know, when I, back in September, I did um, a panel um, at the Rubin Awards. We sort of just did a, a, a talk not too different than what we're talking about, like just Schultz and his legacy and all that. And I had a tear sheet from 19, early 1950s that, that um, I, uh, Jenny Robb of the, who was on the panel, um, she's the curator of the Billy Ireland. And so she mm-hmm. found this great tear sheet of, you know, the newspaper in the 1950s and we put it up on the screen. And it was just amazing to see um, Peanuts as it was seen day to day and and you know as we both know it was it was smaller than other strips because it was it was labeled a space safer strip so you could you know you could run it horizontal or vertical or stack it or whatever um but then just on the page itself with all these other comic strips of the era um that had lots of you know heavy blacks or um you know just use of shadow or, or what have you like your eye just couldn't help but zero in on mm-hmm. his work. It was like a little oasis on the page. And whether it was a Sunday page or a daily, you just you just couldn't not look at peanuts. Um, <laughs> and um, and I just kept, you know, as I saw more and more of these pages, that just I kept zeroing in. It's not to say that the other strips on the page weren't great. They were all great. But he was doing something different. And um, and the sparseness and and the precision that we're talking about was really evident against the landscape of of the other comics on the page. Um, and so that was that was really it was really striking to see see it as he was doing it, and then just to sort of think like how gradually that that approach to comics that he was doing kind of that was how you know successive generations did comic strips mm-hmm. whether they knew it or whether it was intentional or not that was just how you did a comic strip so. well, think, think of of Stephen Pasta's world uh, pearls before swine right his characters yeah. are all these characters that fit nicely within the panel they're they're shorter characters uh they're kept small and simple mm-hmm. uh it, it, you know the framing is similar in that sense um patrick mcdonald's mutts although again you're talking about characters that take up a smaller amount of space within the panel uh you know one of the the things that schultz i'm looking at you know those strips that we were just talking about and i'm looking at how the characters fit within the frame of the panel and in many of the shots they're about half they're you know in full figure shots they're only half the height of the panel and uh because they're children right and Mm -hmm. so there is this harmony really uh, this ability to they don't feel crowded at all within it's very confining space yes Uh, yeah yeah no and there's there's an ease the eye feels an ease in looking at peanuts uh because of the elegance with how schultz composed his panels but how he designed his characters and he designed his world uh you know there's so many uh, on these two pages there's a lot of uh 
the background scenery is often limited to just a little ground plane with grass, you know, little scribbles of grass uh, in the background. And that's enough. You know, your yep. mind fills in the rest. And as a child, you know, I, I always found that my mind filled out a whole world that there was an implied world around it, you know. Yeah. I could feel them move through even if I wasn't privy to seeing it. And, and you know, I think Schultz found this, this, this place wherein this simple approach was minimal but had the maximum impact for for the few tools that he he used you know yeah and it's just it's just perfectly balanced between the visuals and then the text and then you as the reader don't feel overwhelmed um like i've been reading uh been going through walt kelly and reading pogo starting with with the other fanographics collections and uh-huh. so i've been reading a, a few at a time and truthfully i mean it's it's beautiful to sit and and read it as he did it um but i can only really sort of read a chunk at a you know yeah. maybe you know 10 to 20 strips at a time because it's so dense and it's beautiful but i feel like i have to read it a couple times over one just to sort of read it and then and then i'm sort of just going back and just looking at his line work because it's so exquisite and it's beautifully done but and and rendered so um so well i mean he's such a beautiful illustrator and cartoonist but because but i but am i enjoying it the same way i enjoy peanuts no i mean it's a different strip entirely it's a different approach but something about the sparseness of schultz's stuff makes it easier to read (laughs) frankly Mm -hmm. um yeah and this is this is where i was saying you know the connection to roy crane uh sort of hit me this morning when you mentioned his name uh, wash tubs there's something similar in Roy Crane's work, uh, his early work in particular, wherein there's places for the eye to rest within the strip itself. But, you know, I'm thinking mostly of, of his Sunday pages, but there there's a similar sparseness in that some of those early wash tub strips. And and. You know, Walt Kelly's work is. Well, first of all, it's you know it's tied to its time by its its contemporary references, its references to the politics of the era and the figures of the era, and so you know there's a lot of that that's in it, and so it's it works as kind of history. But Schultz's work is really, well, and this is this is an interesting question actually. How timeless is it? In a lot of ways, there there it is timeless. You know, the the environment that we're looking at on these two pages again is a kind of empty sparse environment we see tree and we see a ground plane we see a little brick wall in the background not a heck of a lot of detail there that ties it to a particular period of time right Where, you know and and while walt kelly's work is in the swamp in okey um you know much of it in terms of its subject ties it to ties it very much to its era and to its the politics of the day, which were of great concern to him. Um, but, you know, also think about Walt Kelly working in that space as time went on by, you know, 19, the late 60s, early 70s, Walt Kelly's space was as reduced as Charles Schultz's was. And he's right. taking all that detail into a panel that's on a page with Schultz. It can be, could be very, I don't want to say off-putting to read, but it, it, it was definitely 
more challenging to read in that environment. Right, right. And I don't know if he, I haven't read enough of Pogo to know if he adjusted the, um, adjusted his drawing to compensate for that, you know, lack of space, mm -hmm. or if he, if he, if he pushed against it and, and just, or, or if he just continued to draw the way he drew, um, making it, as you say, more challenging to read on the page. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he'd go to the extent of, you know, doing this beautiful lettering, uh, which right. is all hand done, exquisite, you know, old English lettering, which is, oh my God, incredible to look at. His stuff is incredible to look at uh, from a cartoonist point of view. Um, yep. I think there's in comics, you know, but it would probably have benefited from being in comic book form, you know, in some sense where he'd have more room to grow not to grow but to you know to f more space to fill really you know uh, with with that beautiful line work uh, but nevertheless pogo is a great achievement uh and a singular achievement and very distinct from from uh, what charles schultz was doing but obviously where schultz was going was where comic strips was were going right right you think of yeah. the next generation um you think of all the comics that came out in the late 50s early 60s um and even you know those that came of age when peanuts did beetle bailey and dennis the menace and the kind of more leaning more towards the minimal than the maximum you know maximal illustrative capabilities um hagar the horrible dick brown stuff and high and lois and uh, well johnny hart's bc all of those sort of moved into the, the world of, of kind of minimal um, uh, illustration in comics. It was just a different era. Right, right. Yeah. Different things. So, so um, you know, I guess just kind of to wrap things up a little bit, um, I was just thinking, you know, how do you see Schultz's influence on your own in your own creativity and your own work um that's a good question i you know the thing that i keep coming back to uh that i personally i think i don't know if struggle is the right word but the thing that that i i'm aware of my work and and i you know obviously um get a lot of joy out of doing it and if for, for those any of your listeners who want to see it can check it out at kidbeowulf.com um i just say i well it's funny it, okay it reminds me of just yesterday when i was looking at the new exhibit the spark of schultz they open with this great quote that you probably know um where i'm not going to do it justice um but essentially that it was a, it was a quote from schultz and he's just talking about how the beauty of cartooning and the thing he loves about cartooning is just creating that perfect line and trying to just you know that's the challenge every day to just kind of come up with the most beautiful line on your character. And, and that's for him, the joy of cartooning. And of course that resonated with me. Um, cause that's, that's just sort of what I'm always trying to, uh, achieve when I'm drawing my own stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, and, and I, although, although I would say, I don't know if necessarily my artistic style is similar to Schultz's because I would, probably um i'm trying to get more facile with 
the brush. So I sort of look to that kind of lush brushwork of, of Walt Kelly and, and his character design. And, um, and so the sparseness of Schultz, I don't necessarily have so much in my uh, strip, I think, if you're looking at it visually. But uh, the thing I keep reminding myself is um, to try and take some of his simplicity like because and that precision in word choice and then line choice is something I'm trying to just be cognizant of when I do my do my work because and bring some of that in. So I don't know if 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 somebody were to look at my stuff, they would necessarily you know see the Schultz influence outside of like the occasional Easter egg where I always put in the zigzag on like a piece of pottery or something. <laughs> so just a little <laughs> homage. Um, but I know as a creator, I'm I'm constantly thinking about how he approached his work and the deliberateness, um, but also just like the ease of it on the page. That's kind of what I'm trying to like philosophically get to is just make it look almost like it was inevitable, you know, um, and he was so good at that um, staging and and all the stuff that we've been talking about. Um, so. That's the roundabout answer to, the, to your question. Uh, yeah, I, I see it. There's a freshness to your cartooning, I think, that I think calls to mind Schultz sometimes. And uh, I think a liveliness to, to your line that I think calls to mind for me. And um, so. Well, know, I appreciate it. I'll take it. I'm. I'm <laughs> Well, you know, it's definitely it's definitely there. I think if people go to kidbeowulf.com or uh, find your work on Go Comics, or if they seek it out at Barnes and Noble or other fine bookstores, um, I think they would agree that, uh, that the master's work lives on in all of our work. You know, in all of our work, yeah, actually, yep. in all of our work, and it's really it's so true. It really is. <laughs> I'm choking up now. <laughs> you know, I know it sounds silly, but it's true. I am. It's like uh, his work does. It lives on in in all of us. And uh, in so many ways that, you know, we can't even count, really, things that have changed since since Peanuts came along and impacted the comics page as much as it did. Um, countless ways you know, from from his character design to his topics and subject matter to his pacing and his rhythm and his worldview and all. Oh, it's unbelievable yep. the extent to which Peanuts has impacted the comics and the world outside of comics. And we're all which, back. yeah, which is exactly why we're we're talking about him a hundred years later. There yep, exactly. <laughs> so, well, Lex, uh, it, again, it's it's been a joy. It's and so I'm so thankful for you to allow me to uh, pontificate about my little animated movie uh, for a little while there. That's um, that was very. Very nice of you to to you know interject that so I could plug it a little bit and uh, it's great no and and um, I think folks are really going to dig it um, and it's always just fun to talk shop with uh, with you specifically and and about Schultz and and um, so I always I always appreciate the time to come on uh, Blockhead and and uh, nerd about nerd out about the things we love. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're one of my favorite people to have on the show. That's why I keep asking you to come back. And, and uh, you know, if I ever want to have a, if you're ever up for it, you know, maybe one of these days I'll turn the podcast into a two-person show. If you, you know, maybe you, I think you'd be the ideal person to do that with. Um, 
Well, that's so, very, that's very, uh, it's a great ask. I will, uh, yeah, no, it's always fun to talk comics with people who love comics. Yeah, it is. And, and, uh, if, so what is, before we go, what, what is it, um, that Lex Fajardo is up to now? What's next for Kid Beowulf and, and, uh, Little Hammer, right? Yeah, yeah. So a couple of things I'm doing, um, Right now, I'm, I'm serializing uh, a new sh- short story uh, on my website. Uh, every Saturday, a few new pages drop. Um, and so it's called Booty's Bounty. It, it uh, focuses on a side character who I'm sort of bringing to the forefront, a young girl named Booty, who is, whose real name is Boudica. So, you know, history fans may know that, that name. Um, and uh, so it's a little story about her and Beowulf and and it's an interstitial story uh, and it, and that sort of takes place between the big books. Anyway, folks can read that at kidbeowulf.com um, and you can you can check it out there. Uh, and then uh, I'm starting a little side project. You mentioned Hama Hama the pig, who was Beowulf's yeah. stalwart companion. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, last year I did a storybook with him and and which was really fun. And now Beautiful. I'm sort of doing. Uh, thank you. Now I'm doing um, actually. Similar to our conversation about Schultz and his comic strip, I'm doing a little comic strip featuring Hama and his bird friend, Kiki the Woodpecker, who appeared in oh, one of the other comics. Um, and just like at this point, it's very early on. It's just sort of like just trying to feel it, feel it out because, you know, the rhythm of a comic strip is so very different from graphic novels or, you know, long form storytelling. So and it's been forever since I've done one. So I'm just playing around with that. And that's and if folks become a patron um, that's sort of like an exclusive thing that I'm, you know, just sort of doling out and, and experimenting with. And it's fun. It's just sort of like, they're really fun characters to draw. And, um, at this point it's sort of pantomime strip because neither of them really speak. Um, I don't know if that's going to maintain. I don't know. I'm just sort of like letting it, letting it take shape, um, and having fun with those characters. And, um, so yeah, uh, yeah, doing a lot of stuff, and all of it is at kidbeowulf.com, and, and um, so yeah, folks can check it out. And you have a Patreon page. Yes, yeah. Um, Go ahead and yeah, tell everybody that. Patreon.com slash kidbeowulf, and become a patron. You get access to the, uh, the booty story, and then, um, depending on the different tiers, access to the Hama book and other awards. And, um, yeah, so so all of that stuff, I'm, I'm doing pretty regularly and and um uh and that's that's a life away from um the schultz studio but um also never never too far from those influences well that's great lex thank thanks so much for being on the show today and uh and i hope people will check out your work at kidbeowulf.com and your patreon page at patreon.com slash kidbeowulf uh, that Hama story, Hama story was just, I love that little book. I think it's a beautiful little book. And anybody who's looking for a great gift for uh, for their child, uh, another children's book. Uh, the title of that book, again, was... Hama the Pig's Big Adventure. Yeah, Hama the Pig's Big Adventure. I didn't have it in front of me, so I didn't, I didn't speak. It's a great little book, and, uh, you know, look for it. Is it available on your website? Yes, yeah, yeah. It is available, and... Uh... Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed that book. It was it was definitely an experiment, and it was fun to to do, and and um, yeah, so that's kind of what led into this other Hama. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that comic strip. I think it's it, it's a natural, and 
Alma's a great character, so I, I think it'll it'll be a lot of fun. All right, Lex. Um, thanks for being here again today, and thanks for talking about Charles Schultz. And uh, and you know, it's just great to have you here. And uh, looking forward to having you on the show again sometime in the near future. Anytime, Jeff. This is always fun. And congrats on your um, on your animated piece. It's, uh, people are gonna love it. Thanks, man. You know, whenever I want to have a nice conversation, all I got to do is ask Lex to be on the show. It's, it's just whenever I, I, I want to talk about Charles Schultz, great. We can talk about Charles Schultz. Want to talk about Kid Beowulf or cartooning in general, great. You know, want to talk about Binghamton and Endicott and Johnson City, Vestal, New York, yes, we can do that too. Lex is just such a comfortable friend to have here on the show, and I feel so lucky that he's a part of my life. And I'm happy to, happy to bring him back to you because I think he's also such a wise man, such a wise fellow. And uh, definitely check out his book, check out his work at kidbeowulf.com. That will keep you up to date with Lex's public appearances, uh, with all that he's doing with Kid Beowulf and Little Hama and, uh, and all of the new stuff. Lex is on kidbeowulf.com. You can also follow Kid Beowulf on Go Comics, I think. So you can look for it there. If you have a Go Comics account. And I look forward to the next time he's with us here on Blockhead. It's one of the one of the nicest things about doing this show is connecting with Lex and, and having him uh, as a guest and as a friend. Well, in two weeks, uh, it'll just let's see now. It's the 14th. So 12 days, 12 days from now, my little video premieres on YouTube at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, November 26th on YouTube at Jeff Grogan's Blockhead. That's the uh, the uh, channel that I have. And if you go there 10 a.m. or afterwards, you're going to be able to watch my little animated tribute to Peanuts and Charles Schultz called Good Grief by Schultz, and it's an adaptation, as you heard, of the great Kay Ballard album and the great Charles Schultz Peanuts comic strips, taken directly from those comic strips and staying as truthful as I possibly can to them. And I hope you you are there to join me for its premiere, if you will, and uh, and you can watch it anytime after, after that, as many times as you like, uh, but I'll be there for the first half hour or so just to to chat with anyone who uh who finds it of interest so check it out then uh i hope to see you there on november 26th 10 a.m that's a saturday after thanksgiving celebrating 100 years the 100th birthday of charles schultz with my little animated tribute to peanuts and to the great cartoonist himself on youtube at jeff grogan's blockhead Hope to see you there, and I hope you are well, and I hope, well, I hope the best for you this next week. Uh, Next time around, Jason Chatfield will be here to talk about his work uh, as the... The the president of the National Cartoonist Society, his connections to Charles Schultz and to Peanuts, his own work with Ginger Meggs and stand-up comedy, and I'm looking forward to that, and I hope to bring it to you very shortly. So look for it in the next week or thereabouts, and uh, and well enjoy enjoy the month of November. Uh, look for the bright spots in November if you can find them, 
and uh, hopefully November 26th will be one. So before I forget, I'm on Instagram at Green Screen Comic, and I also have a Patreon page. So patreon.com slash Jeff Grogan if you're interested in, uh, in showing some support for the show. And uh, I hope to see you there. I hope to see you here next time with Jason Chatfield. And on November 26th at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the premiere of my little film Good Grief by Schultz on Jeff Grogan's Blockhead. That's my channel on YouTube, Jeff Grogan's Blockhead. So I look forward to seeing you then. And in the meantime, stay well, stay healthy, stay happy. And as always, thanks for listening. 